terminate the colonel. He's out there operating without any decent restraint, totally beyond the pale of any acceptable human conduct. And he's still in the field commanding troops. Terminate with extreme prejudice. Folks, welcome to the Man Cave Movie Review, the podcast that reviews the good, the bad, and the ugly of movies for men. This is episode 161, and today we're going to be talking about Apocalypse Now. This great and fantastic film stars Martin Sheen, Marlon Brando, Lawrence Fishburne, and Robert Duvall. I am your host, Steve Michaels, and joining me is my very good and dear friend, Mark, I love the smell of bourbon in the morning, Slover. <laughs> Never get out of the podcast. Absolutely damn right. Unless you're going all the way. Roni got off the boat. He split from the whole effing podcast. <laughs> Probably been eaten by a cougar. I mean, tiger. <laughs> tiger, I should say. Did I say cougar? Did that yeah, come well, out? Yeah, while singing in the rain. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and also joining us is our other good and dear friend, Jeff, don't surf, Muncie. Uh, there he is, folks. What the hell do you know about podcasting, Steve? You're from the goddamn region. <laughs> <laughs> that I am. I am from the region, and we don't know jack or shit about podcasting. And Jack left town. So. Jack left. And our other good and dear friend, Ken, singing in the rain, Roni. <laughs> <laughs> Tell the listeners why. Is not here with us tonight because... He decided that he uh, was going to go. What he was going to go see? Uh, the, the what was it? The, the is it Fred Astaire or Danny Kaye? I can't keep the. They all they all look alike. No, no, it's um, it's Gene Kelly. Oh, I was totally off. Then and it wasn't. Fred Astaire. He? I think Fred Astaire's in there too. Okay, so, yeah. So he went to go see Singing in the Rain with a bunch of his uh, uh, his friends because you know what? Ken is very cosmopolitan. We call them. <laughs> Rum Shada. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, Ken sends his regrets and regards. Uh, he'll I don't be... think he regrets it. I, you know what? I mean, he's, he's still not going to get laid. <laughs> I just keep reminding him every freaking time. All right, he's just, he's going to get off more on this podcast <laughs> than he is with those Rum Shada girls. <laughs> just saying. Love you, man. Thanks, Jeff. Uh, so we're going to be <laughs> so guys, we're going to be talking about Apocalypse Now, and this is a uh, it's a, it's a classic. Uh, I think it was what it was filmed in '76 and released in '79. It, yeah, it's, the idea was it was going to be a six week shoot. And like Sixteen <laughs> months later, yeah, it was like a year and a half later. Uh, I oh, they were done now. Um, and it took him like three years to edit this damn thing. Yeah, I think it was it was like two years at the movie. It's like, oh my gosh! But he had uh, two hundred and thirty hours of yeah. video to go through. Yeah. yeah, sorry, go on. So, yeah, guys, if you uh, or, or, or folks, if you're listening to this show, uh, you're probably wondering how in the hell have we uh, been doing this thing three years and are now just getting to this? Well, because there's been other a lot of good movies that we've done, uh, and that's not a knock on this one. I know this is a classic, uh, particularly. 
of, of the Vietnam War movie era. I, I, I'll have some commentary about it, but uh, guys, you know, just real quick, the intro. Unfortunately, I don't have the uh, uh, the special Man Cave movie intro because, to be honest with you, my, uh, my creative writing skills just were failing me on this one. I really couldn't think of anything to do. And uh, so uh, Deb just uh, said, you know what? She's going to go bake some cookies. So anyway, here's the IMDb intro. And uh, it's uh, during the Vietnam War, Captain Willard is sent on a dangerous mission in the Cambodia to assassinate a renegade special forces colonel who has set himself up as a god among local tribes. And it's a direct, it's directed by Francis Ford Coppola. And and to be honest with you guys, I, I want to kind of delve into that a little bit. Did this movie really remind you of Coppola? Because I was getting a really heavy Kubrick feel off this movie. Yes, no, maybe, kind of. That's a great. It's a great lead-in question. Yeah, that's great, um, yeah, that's a great question, Steve. It, it it and especially I think to your point, the end of the movie has a Kubrick feel more than a Coppola feel because the end movie is creepy, dark, um, dealing with some heavy issues. Which is not what you think of Copley, even though you got the Godfather series. Um, <clears throat> you're right, Steve. That's a that's I think that's a great um, a great point to bring up. Mark, what do you think? I think the only thing missing from the ending of this movie was an obelisk and some of the natives screaming <laughs> and dancing around it. <laughs> yes. Well, and that and that's just it. I mean, it there was a there was a lot of surrealism. I just got this like surrealistic yeah. feel throughout a lot of the stuff. Like for example. Uh, and again, jumping way ahead. Remember that one point? It's it's dark. It's night. They they're coming up on some place. There's the guys that are in the water saying, "You know, take us with you." There's a guy with oh, a suitcase. Oh, the bridge. They're the, coming up on that bridge. Yeah, they're coming out the bridge, and there's this crazy ass music getting played, and there's like Christmas tree lights strung out. It's like, what the fuck is going on here? <laughs> I mean, what this? It it it's like, what is this? It's like, you know what? Somebody doused the lights because that's yeah. that's bringing fire on it. It just was very bizarre. I just in in that whole thing, the music that was going on there, and the whole time I kept thinking, um, this has to be a Kubrick movie. Yep. Well, I totally and see where you're going with that. I do too. And you know, to add another twist to it, this was written by John Millions. Mm-hmm. Yes. You know, as I mentioned in our hint. Arguably the man caviest man cave writer director out there. And I'm like you, I'm sitting here and we can get into it. This, this movie, what did I say at one point? Um, this is some surreal shit is yeah. what I wrote down. I, maybe, maybe I needed to watch this movie the way I did the first time I went to see Pink Floyd's The Wall. Um, and I was totally trashed when I saw that movie and it made sense. Well, I think what this movie, one of the brilliance of this movie, um, it t- you were you were on literally a journey with this movie. I mean, they they are they are on this they are on a a journey up a river, and the closer they get to the end, the further into the abyss, everybody, including you, the viewer, seem to go, and it continues to pull you down into this dark, dark tunnel. <laughs> Where, where you, you're, you're, I guess, you're, and it's a, it's a pretty long movie. 
Um, so you've been on a ride of, you know, it kind of starts out as, a, you know, a war movie. And as you're progressing along, it it's taking a turn. And then by the end, I mean, you want to make sure that you've got the scotch and the revolver <laughs> locked up somewhere. Right. Because it's the, I mean, it's, 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 it it's rough to watch. It's an it, allegory it, about sanity. Yeah, it right. really is. We take a turn. This movie evolves throughout it, and we take a turn from what it starts out to be, um, which I don't, I don't have a problem with it. I appreciate the story because we're dealing with some heavy things here. You know, you've got a uh, you know a U.S. service guy who's going to um, uh, you know whether whether he's a grocer or an assassin. Uh, it's debatable. <laughs> that would be Martin Sheen. It's um, Who's going to go kill another American serviceman? And it's dealing, you know, he, he, the great thing is the narration that goes along with it, where, you know, he's, he is struggling through this. He's, you know, half idolizing this guy, half, you know, trying to wrap his mind around the fact he's got to do this job. And it's the internal struggle mirrored with the world is, is not as he left it, you know, of, you know, whatever, a week before it. And we're getting in deeper and deeper into darkness, the heart of darkness, so to say, which was the title of the book that this was based off of. Um, and I'm going to use based off of as loosely. It was loosely mm-hmm. based off of it um, to the point of if people are interested, probably go read the book because mm-hmm. it is different than the movie. Yeah. And it takes place in the Belgian Congo in the 1890s. It's, it's quintessential. It's a, a Joseph Conrad mm-hmm. book. And, or novella. If you have you read it, Jeff? No. Heart of Darkness. No. Uh, yeah. I just know. I just know. I'm supposed to read it because wow. it's it's different and it yeah. it's um and and you know it, it the story is different, but I I I like the way that Coppola and Milius took this story. Yeah, and it's you almost feel in some respects like. You're pinballing, you know, like we said, you're, it's a journey down a, a river of insanity, as it were. Um, and you're kind of pinballing into all the absurdities that, that are the Vietnam War as it's been presented, you know, from, from Colonel Kilgore to the Sampan with the family to this riverine group. That's that's taken Martin Sheen upstream, and everybody's everybody's got their own baggage, and everybody's reacting differently to all of these situations. Like you said, the bridge scene to then the Playboy bunnies show up, uh, it, 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 and it's 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 almost like a. I want to. I'm going to use this term, and it because it's the only thing I could think of. It's like a funhouse gone bad. Mark, you know what? That's, that's pretty poignant. I, that's kind of, that is a, a lot what I get out of this movie. It really is. And I don't know, were you either one of you, I went with some people, I don't remember if either one of you were with me to see the version that Coppola wanted to release. Apocalypse Now Redo. Yeah, we all saw that. We went to the theater to see it. Yeah. Was it IMAX that you went and saw it in? May have been. But you know, you find out that that's a whole different movie than this one. Oh, oh my gosh! Okay, so you guys, you two watched 
the theatrical version, right? I've seen both this mm-hmm. version oh, but, and yeah, the expanded version. Yeah, the expanded okay. version I don't think was a theatrical. I no, think no, it, it was. No, that's, in the yeah, yeah, and it that's was, it was re-released and re-released in DVD yeah. as Apocalypse Now Redo. Yeah. Um, now, Steve, have you seen that? Yes, mm-hmm. because I think okay. it was it was me, Mark, and I think Ken. Ken, we went together. The, yeah, the three the of us. Because then the Playboy bunnies reappear. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they, yeah. Yeah. They service the men because <laughs> they're like, hey, can you get us out of here? Yeah. Well, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and the whole French Indochina thing pops into the movie. Yeah. yeah there's, so, so if you saw the theatrical version um, and then have missed the Apocalypse Now redo, you need, I think you need to see the Apocalypse Now redo to see it how Coppola wanted it shot. Now, I'm not saying it's better, no. but I'm saying it, it bridges some – um, it, it bridges the movie in some areas that at times I feel it's kind of disjointed. Yes. Uh, yeah. And, and now I'm not, I, but when you see it, I want you, I want people to see it if they haven't, so they can therefore understand why it's disjointed and then appreciate the fact that it's disjointed because you, I don't know about you guys. I'd be interested to hear. <laughs> I, I'm fine with the parts that they cut out. Maybe with the exception of the Playboy Bunny scene where they revisited them, only because it's pretty funny. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But in well, general, I get why he cut out what he did, because either it's 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 too technical, or it 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 adds some de- character story development, but it's not necessary. No, what right. it was cut because it added another half an hour to a two and a half hour movie is right. why it was cut. <laughs> right. right. Okay. This, right. Let's this, just say that. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's you, why it was head, cut. Your head was already beginning to throb. Yeah. You're like, what the hell? Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, and that's, I think that's worth mentioning. You know, we've seen enough two and a half hour movies. How we've watched, you know, the Lord of the Rings extended editions, yeah. right? Yeah. You, you you know we can sit through those movies, but the the one issue with this movie is two and a half hours. It's a heavy. Ooh. It's not one of those you can kind of you know just just pay half attention and right. and know what's going on. It's also not one that if you're paying attention and for two and a half hours. I mean, again, you are at the end. It's it's almost like watching Stalingrad and um, <laughs> and 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 just you go at the end going. Man, um, two and a half hours later, and and this is the payoff. Um, man, I I need to go. Um, I don't know. I need it. I need a palate cleanser for this. It, it, so it's almost like Reservoir Dogs. When we said we were going to do this, yeah, I, I I was like I had to mentally steal myself, and that that doesn't mean I dislike this movie, but I had to go. Okay, I've got to get in a certain frame of mind mm-hmm. to watch yeah, this movie. Right. Well, and this goes back to what Steve said in the setup. Um. We, for years, have talked about this movie, and every time we bring it up, <laughs> the, the conversation always goes to, oh, man, I don't know if I can prepare myself to watch this movie this week because we've seen it. We know what mm-hmm. it's about, and to rewatch it, it, it you, there is some energy that I feel we have to put into it emotionally, and we want to be ready to do it. So, you know, we initially were going to watch Fury, which I thought, cool, a new movie, kind of, I haven't seen it, which I watched, by the way, which 
boy, is there is is are there some similarities between this movie and that movie? <laughs> you think? Uh, <laughs> a little, That's a little dark, isn't it? A little bit. Okay, hold on. Let's not say any more because right. it's. But um, are you, but, talking, man, are you want, talking about Sergeant Brad Kurtz? I mean Brad Pitt. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sorry. I watched that on Wednesday and watched this on Thursday, and I was cursing you guys today because yeah, I was great. like, man, I've just been depressed so, this week. So yeah. did you watch The Sound of Music today as a palate cleanser? <laughs> Maybe I'm you should join watch Ken watching Singing, Singing in the Rain. Went, I should have went and watched Singing in the Rain with Ken. <laughs> well, you know, here's the thing, the, and you two will appreciate this, and I'm assuming most of our listeners have watched this movie. The most lighthearted, and I use that movie with air quotes around that term, lighthearted. The most lighthearted part of this movie Robert is Duvall. Kilgore. Robert Duvall, yes, 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 yes. That's the only lighthearted part of this movie. I, I might say maybe, um, um, what's his name? Dennis uh, Hopper. Dennis Hopper. Okay. Or... Again, the Playboy bunnies. Um, you know, the uh, there's, you yeah. know, there there's enough, but not enough. Well, I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what. Let's uh, before we get too ahead of ourselves. You know, Steve usually has a setup for actors, so we're, we're it sounds like yeah. we're starting to talk about the actors instead of the movie. So, yeah. Steve, is there any way you want to run this? Um, well, I, I don't know. I mean, let's just kind of jump. Or are we going to the- do this like the movie and just completely derail? You know, are we going to do like Francis Ford Coppola and just go? Dude. I did live through Vietnam. Yeah. I- through this podcast, I don't know. I mean, I mean, the main character in this in this whole thing is Martin Sheen. I mean, he's pretty much the voiceover, the narration. Um, he plays catch. Uh, yeah, he plays Captain Benjamin Willard, uh, and his job is go take out Marlon Brando, who is uh, Walter Kurtz. Who, of course, is, a, is he's a he's very decorated, very accomplished. You know, been through Airborne and Ranger. I mean, just a bunch of special operations training and you know so he's reading the dossier and he's realizing he has to go kill this guy because from what he can tell he kind of goes off the deep end um but he's given a mission he's a soldier he does his job right um and but what's great what i love about this movie is you know you're you know it's all about who this kurtz guy is who you don't see until the last half hour of the movie but what you have along the way is you have got a bunch of not just um, character actors or characters, uh, one-dimensional characters, which I'm not saying they are. I don't think we are. I'd like to hear what you guys think. I think that actually, you know, what the character you 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 get an idea that these are one-dimensional characters, but actually they have some depth to them. And as they travel down the river, a lot of this starts coming out. Right. Um, and and so I think one it, you're led to, led to believe you know who these characters are going to be, and then they kind of develop, especially Martin Sheen's character, the uh, Captain Willard. Um, but when you when you meet Robert Duvall's character, um, <laughs> who I mean, he's in here for eleven minutes. Is that all? He has, he has eleven yeah. minutes of screen time, I should say. Eleven wow. minutes. He's in there for about a half. About, I mean, it's about a half an hour. But you know, most of that is the uh, is the uh, is the copter scenes, is the attack on the village scene. He's not in there that long, but he completely steals the show. Because yes. when you think about this movie, don't you guys immediately yeah. think of Robert Duvall? Yes. Yes. Well, and so much so that he got nominated for best supporting actor, as he should have. Right. For about for eleven minutes, and here and here's the thing about this: 
I, I've got I've got my own things about this movie, and one of it is with me. I, it, it's it's dark, it's brooding. There's you know that last forty minutes of this movie is just like oh my god, just get to the end already. It's <laughs> just please end this somehow. I don't care who dies. You know, arc light strike everywhere. I don't care <laughs> because it Drop just all ammunition it, on my paws. Yeah, it's just a merry freaking war. Yeah, it's it's to the point of oh my god, I don't I don't know what they were trying to get across, but it's like okay, this is like pulling teeth. But when Robert Duvall was on the scene, oh my god, the guy was just spectacular. His demeanor, his look, everything about him, loved it. Love the fact that, you know what, we're going to go over to this village. We're going to help you out because this dude over here told me it's a great place to surf. Doesn't matter. It's one of the most heavily defended villages in the V.C. We're going to take it out anyway because a six-foot peak. It's got a six-foot And it goes left and breaks left and right. (laughs) This whole country is full of beach break. (laughs) And then he finds out that one of the guys on the river, on the riverine, um, on the PBR, the boat yeah. is like this is that, renowned is that Paps blue ribbon. Yes, it yeah. is the Paps Blue Ribbon boat. Yep, the PBR. The P- Guys, I just want to throw this out there right now. Okay, that was Sam Bottoms. He played Lance Johnson. He was the he was the surfer guy. Okay, now at what point? Because in the very beginning, he seemed pretty normal. At mm-hmm. what point did this mm-hmm. guy completely lose his fucking mind in this movie? Okay, the puppy. Well, hold on. Okay, okay, okay. So the puppy scene, right? And after that, he does. He takes a turn. You want to do a little bit of trivia, Steve? Uh, help me out here, because I, I, I don't know if I had to go take a Poe or something, because I'm like, okay, he completely went batshit. He was he for most <laughs> of the movie. He was on heroin and LSD. Okay, that that so explains a lot. If 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 the listeners get a chance, they should go to IMDb and read the trivia. It is phenomenal. Yeah. It's almost I mean, let, unbelievable. Let's just, real quick, sidebar, let's just fill everybody in that this was a movie waiting for detox at the end. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Dennis Dennis Hopper required an ounce of cocaine <laughs> for the shoot's duration. As you said, Bottoms was high on LSD and speed much throughout it, and... Martin Sheen was often inebriated, inebriated and suffered a near heart attack. Meanwhile, Brandau arrived weighing 300 pounds. Well, Mark And had did. never read the script. Well, that's the, the issue between Coppola oh. and, um, and, and Brando is worth a movie itself. Oh, yeah. Coppola at one point was threatening suicide because he was so tired of dealing <laughs> with Brando. But what's even so to, to, to keep going with your detox? <laughs> Lawrence Fishburne lied about his age. Yeah. Uh-huh. He was 14 years old. And he okay. was Larry Fishburne in the movie. Yep. Dennis Hopper got him hooked on heroin <laughs> during the movie. Oh, sure he did. Okay. Well, you know, it's well, they talk about like some of the trivia in there because I, I flipped through a little bit and it's like, God, there's so much of it. There is. But oh. there's a couple of things where they talk about like that. The scene towards the end when they're sacrificing the cow or killing the cow, they're really killing, killing a, a cow. cow. Animals were harmed during the filming <laughs> yeah. of this movie. Yes. <laughs> and then the scene, there, there was part of there, and I'd have to pull it up. I, I can't scroll through, but I'm going to paraphrase. 
there's the one scene I think when they wanted to uh, when they were bringing in the airstrike, uh, uh, the Charlie Don't Surf village scene, the napalm, the scene, napalm yeah. scene. They said. Oh yeah, it's like the Filipinos were like, yeah, shit, we'll we'll burn that down. They said, oh yeah, Scorsese said, or Coppola says he goes, yeah, we can't do it in America. The environmentalists would never let us do this. Yeah. <laughs> but here, but in the Philippines, it's like shit. We're burning these damn villages down all the time because of the guerrilla fighting. <laughs> yeah, if, I, if, well, if, that, if, if listeners want to watch it, and I recommend it. You really need to watch the documentary about this movie called Hearts of Dark Hearts. Yep, Hearts of Dark Hearts. Oh, wow. That's really good. It, it's ne- really good, but it, you just watch this and go, I don't, I, I got to give Coppola credit that with all of this F uppery and Typhoon hit, wiped out the set. I mean, <laughs> millions over budget. Brando doing classic Brando over the top. I'm going to be Brando and be not do anything you want me to do. Screw you. I'm going home. It's amazing that this movie got made, that it ever was actually released. Coppola had to mortgage his home and his Napa Valley winery to finance this thing because it went so over budget and so long for you know because of actors because of typhoon because of all this shit and uh, like you said martin sheen now i didn't know this has a heart attack martin sheen had a heart attack so they brought his brother in who's an estevez brought Mm -hmm. his brother in who apparently looks like him and at one point unless i had read it i wouldn't have known i guess at one point in a distance when you're watching them go by in a boat i guess his brother's on the boat instead of him but some of the voiceover is actually his brother, and it's not Martin Sheen. Mm-hmm. Well, I'll tell you what. The amazing thing about this is when you watch those scenes with Martin Sheen, uh, some of them when his hair is, like, wet, slicked back. Yes. Good Lord, it's Charlie. I mean, yes. I think Martin Sheen gave birth to Charlie Sheen. And then there are a couple profiles where you go, that's Amelia. Yeah. Yeah, it's amazing. I mean, they, they you know, they always say, you know, the kids, they got the resemblance, but, oh, good Lord. Yeah, he couldn't deny Charlie if he wanted to. Good mm-hmm. God Almighty. That was but you know, but here's the thing, guys. <laughs> One of the things that kind of just draws me back, I don't like Martin Sheen. I don't like him as an actor. It has nothing to do with his politics. I don't care about his politics. I just don't like the guy. Well, okay, so I mean I don't have that hang up. So how does I mean when okay, so if you don't like the guy, um, I mean, so what is it? What did it give me? I mean, what did it do for you in this movie? Yeah, how did it affect you? I I kept watching it going. They could have put, I, and there's a whole bunch of other people that they were talking about putting in for that for that role. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and to be honest with you, I'm not a big fan of his. But when they were talking about Nick Nolte, I'm like, well, shit, yeah. I just I don't know. I I think part of it is is that and it, Martin Sheen's one of those guys. If he's in a movie, I I'm just really not interested in it. And it's just, and, and like I said, it has nothing to do with politics. I, I know he's a, you know, a left-wing type guy, like 95% of Hollywood. I don't care about that. There's something about him I just don't care for. Well, I mean, I mean, yeah, I mean, we all, I think all of us here have actors that we just really don't enjoy. I mean, I think we've, we've spoken about, uh, um, 
uh, Alec Baldwin. Don't really like, you know, I don't like his acting. Um, you know, we've talked about Keanu Reeves. I mean, some other actors that, you know, we don't like their mannerisms persona on the screen. And so, therefore, the, whatever movie we're watching, it affects that because we don't like what we're seeing on the screen. I get that. I don't have that issue. I, I don't mind Martin Sheen, I, but I don't also go out of the way to watch movies with Martin Sheen. Um, Mark, what do you, I mean, do you... I, you, you know, I, I get what you're saying, and I kind of fall in the camp of Martin Sheen's fine in this movie. I, I don't... You know, I'm kind of conflicted about him, because in some ways, I don't think he's very... I think he's flat in a lot of ways through this movie. Uh-huh. He, he just kind of strikes me as kind of this... For this guy who is a, it, it, an assassin, you know, this is a elite guy who's supposed to go... He's dealt with these kinds of issues before. I know he's supposed to be burned out. We get that on the front end. Um, it, it just seems like... I, I feel a lot of times that Martin Sheen, as an actor, is sleepwalking through the role. And, and I... I so I, I, I guess that's what they wanted out of him, kind of that he is the observer in this movie. Perhaps that's what Coppola wanted him to be, is this cipher that we are, we are seeing things through his eyes and we're going we're gonna to experience it as he experiences it. But there are, there's a lot of this where I just, I would have liked a little Al Pacino angry acting, frankly, in a couple scenes. Yeah, I don't know if I would have wanted Al Pacino in this. Um, no, no, no. But you know what I mean. There's just yeah, there's, there's I, no I get emotion. What you're he wants some emotion, but I I do think that because here's the thing, you've got this. I'm going to refer to him as the straight man in this. Um, yeah. But everyone else around him, every other single person around him is high energy emotion. You know, the 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 chief on the boat, um, the chef, um, the the surfer guy. Um, even, um, uh, Lawrence Fishburne's character, they're all high energy, um, flashy, kind of in your face, loud. And, you know, of course you got Kilgore. Um, but in, in, you know, in the hopper comes, I mean, everybody else is, is kind of, um, I'm just going to say they're on speed. And then, and then you've got him. <laughs> Literally and, and figuratively. Maybe. Yeah. And then you, and then you've got Sheen who's drunk. And so he's on the downer side of it, but it makes him. <laughs> It makes him stand out a little bit, and it pulls yeah. make him different because he is different than everybody else. He is, um, I mean, he is, he is committed to his profession. Everybody else is there to to, to kind of do their job, and and you know the guys on the boat. I mean, they're they're eighteen, or in Fishburne's case, he's fourteen, and they're just you know they're they're there reluctantly, and they're they're just trying to survive. And and he almost to a point needs this to survive, being Martin Sheen, because this is all he knows. This is what he does best. And you know, as he's sitting in the hotel room. By the way, the opening of this movie, it it is it is it's an I think it's an amazing opening sequence. Um, very emotionally charged. And I mean, how many times do you have an emotionally charged opening scene like that? Which was mostly improvised, and Coppola told his camera crew, "Just keep filming," because Sheen was drunk, and he they just filmed and filmed and filmed. So him punching the glass is real, because he's drunk. But he needed and, stitches. Yeah. So I mean, a lot of this is, you know, I think a lot of what we're what 
I like about this movie, which is, by the way, a lot, um, is what you're seeing on the screen is authentic because everybody is reacting emotionally to whatever um, substance they have in their system. And you get an – I mean, you're not getting act, – you're getting acting, but at the same time, you're getting <clears throat> um, unbridled emotion from what they naturally are experiencing. Right. That's, that's well put. You know, one thing I just want to throw out real quick is the guy that played Chief Phillips. His name was Albert Hall. And I had to look that up because, to be honest with you, up until this movie, I thought that was Sidney Poitier. Yes. <laughs> I, I think the first that. time I watched this, that's who I connected with. That's great, Steve. He, he looks like him. He sounds like him. He had the same voice. Some what else has he been in? Because I haven't checked him out. Steve, was he anything else not- noticeable? Uh, notable. He um, was in Malcolm X. He was in National Treasure or something or other. Um, he's been a character actor in a ton of stuff. Yeah, he's done. Uh, yeah, he's done a lot of uh, TV shows. Twenty four. Yeah. Like okay. Beale. All right. I mean, d- yeah, well, I mean, you've got. The he's box. a good. He's busy. He's always. He's working. He's yeah. been working. Yeah. You've got the box up to Alan McBeal, so you should have seen there, Jeff. Wow. Just for the <laughs> record, I like Ally McBeal because the writing in the show was hilarious. All right. Okay. And all I'm going to say is, look, Mr. Um, Scent of a Woman, um, hey. if you can like that, I can like Ally McBeal. Wow. Zing. Next. Son of a bitch. Okay. Must pay. <laughs> all right. All right. <laughs> You know, we've talked about like Robert Duvall, Martin Sheen, Marlon Brando. I got I got a guy on the boat that I really like. I like this character a lot. Is Chef mm-hmm. by Frederick Forrest. I love the whole yep. tiger scene. <laughs> you know, and it, uh, it's tiger, tiger. And whenever I'm having a shitty day, sometimes <laughs> I will just utter, "Don't get off the boat." Yeah. Don't get off the boat. Never get off the boat. Yeah, and I don't <laughs> like mangoes. I don't <laughs> like mangoes. <laughs> yeah. I'm a saucier. What's a saucier? Guy specializes in sauces. Because because here's a guy, he just, you know, and you get a great little backstory about him when he goes looking for mangoes. Because he he lays it out to Martin Sheen. He all he wanted to do was be a cook. And then he watched what they did to Prime Rib on the Navy. And he ended up on the Pibber. But then you watch this guy progress to the end where he's the guy who of all the, you know, things happen to other members of the crew, bad, really bad. Um, but he's the one guy who looks at Martin Sheen like, yeah, we, we have definitely gone over the edge and I'm, I'm here to help you. And you know, whereas Sam bottoms, Lance, the surfer, Oh, he's fully embraced the crazy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) He's I love that when he they're being attacked by the primitives, and he oh, yeah. he's in the middle. He's breaking um, arrows in half and trying to figure out a way to attach them to each side of his head. Make it look like it's gone through his head as they're under attack. I mean, he is he's he's gone. He's, he's, gone, he's gone. gone bye bye. Yeah. He's gone bye bye. Yeah, I mean, and they're all they all get their time. Yeah, Lawrence Fishburne's character, Chief. You like these guys, 
because that you you get a little sense of un, unlike Martin Sheen and you mentioned it earlier Jeff Martin Sheen's a professional he he's he's a lifer he, th- these guys are just doing their tour and they want to get back to their life and you get to know these guys so when they when a couple of them get knocked off you really kind of feel bad yeah well because this movie has taken its time for you to kind of get attached to these characters and get to know them. Yeah. I mean, whether it's, you know, little scenes of, you know, them surfing or skiing behind the boat or dancing and singing or, you know, just, you know, sharing their background. I mean, you, it takes its time and you get to know them, you know, you see them in a lot of the shots, um, you know, when they're, when they're on the assault on the, uh, on the village. I mean, you know, you know, you, they're and the copters, this is, they're out of their element and really, I mean, they're just taking this all in like, what the, what the hell? <laughs> and, um, and, and, and you realize, I mean, you know, and, you know, these aren't just, you know, gung ho kick-ass type guys. Um, of course you got Martin. <laughs> One of my favorite things is while they're flying around the helicopters and, um, you've got, uh, Kilgore up front in the helicopter. Um, if you look behind him, as Martin Sheen has got this, when he's shooting off his M16, has got this, bizarre like constipated face um <laughs> as he's you know loose letting loose some rounds um it it's funny to watch him the way that he's he's firing his gun just like he's oh i think this is gonna be a good spot for me just to randomly fire out the window here um it's 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 just it's these little it's these little things that um that make this movie because i think a lot of it was improvised throughout mm-hmm. the movie and so there's these little these little things along the way and speaking of the movie, you know, especially the, the, the village combat scene. One of the reasons I, I, there are times I just throw this in just to watch that, uh, 17 minutes of footage. Um, and it, what amazes me is how much is going on everywhere. There's, there's, there are such wide angle, broad shots. There's stuff going on half mile, three quarters mile back. Things are just going on all the time. When helicopters are flying around, there's helicopters off in the distance. There's explosions everywhere. I mean, this is just, it just goes on and on and on. And the, the, I don't know, I haven't, I don't know, you guys maybe can tell me how long it took to shoot that scene and choreograph everything. I didn't see it. But there is so much that's happening. There's so many people. It's on such a large scale. Um, and, you know, I'm sure that every helicopter probably had a camera on it, um, flying around and capturing anything in the distance, but it wasn't this narrow view of just what's going on in the, um, in that specific helicopter. You get a shot of everything behind it, below it, and it's, it's just an amazing sequence. To me, it's one of the, it's one of the best small war footage scenes that, that are out there. No, you're right. That is actually one of my favorite scenes of this movie. One yeah, of the little it, facts. One of the little facts about this movie. I'm sorry, Mark. One of the little facts is, you guys alluded to, you know, the, in the Philippines, they were actually fighting a war with some rebels during the time, and the helicopters were were being flown by the military. Well, they said at times there would be operations going on. They would actually have to pull those pilots off to go fly some actual combat missions and they would bring substitute pilots in who really didn't know what was going on and where they were supposed to fly and what they were supposed to do and it, it made some of the day shooting just um, uh, not not go according to plan but I found that that was interesting that you know you've got they're fighting a war over there and 
you know, you've got guys that are, well, sorry, I can't fly today. I have to go over here and we've got to raid this village or, you know, go in and, you know, launch some rockets and take some people out. I mean, you know, it's the, 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 the production and the, the fact of shooting this movie was just as crazy as the movie itself. Well, you know, when you mentioned that, I think they mentioned that uh, Roger Corman was a good friend of Coppola's. And Coppola had mentioned about taking this movie and and shooting in the Philippines. He goes, what do you think? And he said, don't go there. Don't do it. (laughs) Oh, did he? Yeah. I I swear to God that was in the trivia. And there is a ton of trivia, folks. Some of it is absolutely fascinating. you got to take it for a grain of salt. A lot of it's IMDb stuff. God knows who put it there. But... Some of the stuff I've I have backed up and I, I've seen it before. So, and again, go watch the documentary. Go watch the documentary because yeah. it's all in that documentary, and you just sit there and you're astounded that a everybody didn't turn on each other, and, and this didn't become Lord of the Flies, and, right. and b that that he actually managed to cut this down into a usable movie, and that Coppola didn't die. Over 200 hours of footage. 200 yeah. hours. Yeah, and you incredible. do see Coppola in the movie, folks, yeah. when everybody's getting off, when, yeah. when, when the crew is getting off the helicopter, the, the Pibber crew, and he's like, keep going, keep going. There's this propaganda filmmaker, and, and they're all kind of stopping, looking at him, and it's, it's Coppola with a film crew. Yep. Don't look, look at the, the camera. camera. Keep moving, keep yeah. moving. Moving. Yeah. But, but, yeah. And that's a great scene, too, because that's where we meet Kilgore. Mm-hmm. And right. you get to meet this this very brash guy, and um, you know, the, you know, you know what they're what are, what are they doing? You know, death cards, and you know, this is, you know, let the mm-hmm. movie, let Charlie know who did this, and and you know, you get what one of the <laughs> it's awesome. Kilgore's, you know, handing out these death cards. You know, Ace of Spades. You know, King of the Lot. Um, and <laughs> there is um, there's a you know, you get this. So you got the camera crew there, and Kilgore sees this. Uh, uh, you know, wounded VC there, and he bends down and in, in, in dramatic fashion, he's like, you know, you know, the guy's asking for water, and he's like, you know, give me my canteen, and he's starting to give him some water, and then he finds out that Lance, the uh, Lance Johnson, the surfer, is nearby, and he stands up, <laughs> and the the VC guy is trying to get some water, and Kilgore has got the canteen just flying all around, and the VC's head is trying to trying to move to catch the drops of water. Um, well, Kilgore is now just kind of, you know, completely forgot about this guy as soon as he finds out that Lance Johnson's there. Um, <laughs> it's, it's, it's brilliant. It's just a brilliant shot. I, I love it every time. Well, I'll tell you what, when you, when you made the comment about Robert Duvall stole the movie, he stole the movie. Oh yeah. And I'll be honest with you guys, when we get to sound clips, uh, the, the best ones are him. Yeah. Well, because the other problem with, I don't know about you guys, but there are a couple of times I had to go back because it's streaming on Netflix, folks. If you want to watch it, it's streaming on Netflix, and I think Apocalypse Now Redo is streaming on Amazon. No, they're both, um, they're both streaming on Netflix. Are they both? Okay. They're both, yes. It, there's parts where I had to go back, and I'd be curious if you guys did too, and where we finally meet Marlon Brando, this uh, character. I had to go back and rewind it, as it were. To understand him, because it's the classic Marlon Brando muttering. He, he yeah. uh, you, you have to you have to turn it up, and you, yep. you have to pay attention. I mean, again, you can't be painting miniatures and, and watching the show, right? But the lines are hard to understand with him, even. 
Well, especially um, uh, that scene where he's um, recording um, some audio and he's reading um, he's reading from some paper and he's recording this audio. Right. Uh, you, you can hardly really hear what he's saying. He that scene there, I guess he just ad libbed and read for eighteen minutes. Yeah. And they said most of it was just rambling gobbledygook, but they said some of it was just sheer brilliance. Now he had to cut out, you know, clearly seventeen and a half minutes. But um, you know, give Brando some credit. There's a reason that he was chosen for this role. Um, there's also a, a reason that a lot of people didn't want to work with him it was because he is who he is. But because he is who he is, they wanted him for this role. And I will say that was a role for him. I don't know oh, if anybody the, else. The payoff's could. worth it. Don't yes, you think the payoff is worth it? Steve, what do you think? Yeah, I be honest with you guys, I, I know I'm it's probably sacrilege. I am not a big Brando fan. Oh, but neither am I. I apologize. Yeah. I'm just yeah. saying for this role here, for the movie, uh, do you think Brando I mean was was the best for this role? Minus the extra eighty eight pounds he gained. You know, um, <laughs> I'd have to go back. I like I said. I really just don't care for the guy. I, I get what you're saying, Steve, and I, I'm not a Brando fan either. I've never gotten the whole Brando mystique, but there's something there. There, it's like he's the guy because it is. I think part of it is because of the Brando mystique and just that everybody knew Brando is out there. That in his public his actual personal life and all of that baggage translates into, yeah, I can buy this guy has gone bye-bye Egon and is just this psycho-sociopathic mess. And it's, it's, it's kind of interesting to watch because Sheen is truly just an observer at, at the crazy train as it pulls in. At that point, and I, I, I do like that about Brando in this movie. Well, you know, the, and I, I got to give Coppola credit that he was able to salvage a performance out of Brando that he could put on the screen. Well, I'll tell you what. The one thing that I wanted to bring up is, you know, Martin Sheen's going to assassinate this guy, and you know, the whole thing. Shit, we'll just roll right up to the to the main camp. I'll walk in there and take him out. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's like, okay, you already know they already sent one dude out there, and they never heard from him again, and you're just going to go waltzing right in. Oh, and the best part of that was he doesn't get that news until he's two-thirds of the way up the river. Yeah, but even then, it's like, okay, I'll just drop me off over here. I'll go... Give me a sniper rifle. I'll take him out at some point. But I don't know. That that whole thing just really bugged me. It's like he just got off the boat. It's like, what am I going to do, arrest him what, around his army? Uh, I don't know. No, I get what you're saying because I, there were times where I'm sitting there going, well, you know where he is. If you really don't care about casualties, I mean, because it, it is what it is. It's Vietnam at all its glory. Um, just run an arc light raid <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just level yeah. the whole area yeah. or send more than one guy send a team oh, they, they did they, they they sent him and uh and chef and lance well like i said yeah. <laughs> like just, i said yeah i know <laughs> and i forgot to say you know there's a lesson in this movie 
And the lesson is, the lesson is, um, never. And I think we learned it from this movie, and 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 dare I say, episode six of Star Wars. Um, never underestimate a primitive tribes with sticks and stones, because <laughs> um, because apparently they can not only take out imperial legions, but um, also um, um, chiefs on a boat. So, um. Well, Always be wary when people throwing sticks and stones at you. That's well, all I'm you saying. Know, he he didn't have stormtrooper armor on. Well, it, and that wouldn't have helped him. Clearly, no. <laughs> it took out some of the best of the Emperor's Legion with sticks and stones. <laughs> yeah, there you go. And these guys were about as effective as stormtroopers when it came to firearms. Right. I mean, yeah. they they could hit jack and shit. Although the best guy with a firearm, we've got to stop real quick. Clean, is clean. <laughs> F you GIs! F you! Somebody get clean. That dude is gone. Bye bye. Well, when that sandpan comes up, I mean, yeah, it was sinking by the time uh, he was done with it. Oh my god! You know, and there's a piece of trivia in IMDb. They said those those folks on that sandpan were refugees from Vietnam. Hey, why don't you come in this movie so we can make you have a horrible recollection of why the frick you left your country? <laughs> Hey, we just wow. wanted if, you to share the pain we've all been sharing in this film. Oh my God! Did they? I, if those people really were, I mean, you really you did that. I hope you paid them really well, more than scale, because that was pretty horrific. Steve, they got mangoes. <laughs> That's what they got, mangoes. Yeah. So, all right, all right, folks. Uh, I believe it is that time for. Brother, what you drinking? Mark, why don't you uh, start us off? All right. Um, I hit the Co of Cost, the Cost of Co. <laughs> and, you, and you never know what you're going to get in the in the beer section of the Cost of Co. Um, and they had a case for the summer, the summer sampler from Sierra Nevada. I'm sure you both have had Sierra Nevada beer. And one of them in there was their Kolsch. German-style ale, pardon me. <clears throat> Good, tasty. Um, it's a nice summer. It's been hot here. I was in Colorado for a while and had forgotten about humidity when you're up at 9,000 feet. Um, and you come back here and you're like, oh, yeah, humidity, 95 degrees. Uh, Sierra Nevada Kolsch, I like Sierra Nevada's product. It's it's a solid. It's been around a long time. It's solid, good beer. Nothing great, but nothing bad. It's just good Good summertime beer. Highly recommend their Kolsch. Very nice. Mm-mm-mm. Like it, Mister Jeff. What do you got? Well, tonight I have in my possession the wheat of Muncie in my hand. Huh? Oh, your first batch. My first homebrew batch in God, I don't eleven years. I think. Oh um, my God. I and I I would I will go so far as to say this. Um, I would uh, I would uh, with a few disclaimers. Um, I would share this with people, um, letting them know that you know, hey, it is my first beer in a while, and um, and there there are some things I've got to clean up with it. For example, I will not use whatever fucking yeast they advised. <laughs> me to use um it's got a pretty low avb only about three percent but i will say that my goal was to create a summer beer that is light and um tasty 
And even though I put a little bit of, uh, you know, about a pound of honey with it, I don't get much honey out of it. So maybe need to do two pounds. That said, it's a, I think it's a, it's a solid wheat beer, very refreshing, very light, which is what I was wanting for summer. And I got to say, for my first beer after 11 years, and the lightest beer I've ever made, um, I'm pretty happy with it. Once I got the um, CO2 um, to the point uh, where I was happy with it, that took a little while longer than I uh, anticipated. Because I started, um, this is uh, this is also got back in it, and I, I did kegging instead of bottling. So oh, yeah. that has been a, that has been an endeavor that uh, I think is paying off now. But um, but yeah, so um, I I would recommend it um, for people that have already had a few beers and then want to you know follow up with this. Um, but no, seriously, I think uh, I think it's uh, I think it's all right for uh, for my first batch after uh, a decade. So. Hey Jeff, is it more of an American wheat or a, is it a hefe? Oh, it's definitely an American wheat. Okay, nice, Very clean. Light. It's oh yeah, I I'll tell you what it it's I'm looking at it through the uh, through my computer screen light. It's beautiful, I think. Um, I did not add any um, clearing hops at the end of my uh, brew, but um, but it's pretty clear. It's pretty. It's a very nice golden color. How long did it sit before you before you um, tap it? Well, let's see here. I fermented for a week, then I capped it for um, with the CO2 for basically two weeks. It took a while for it to carbonate, but it. Um, I went out there tonight. I was, it was supposed to be done uh, Sunday of Gen Con. Tried it Sunday. And uh, wasn't quite where I was wanting it, so I let let it sit for another, you know, five days, and went out tonight, poured a glass, and and I think it's uh it's the best I'm going to get it, so I'm pretty happy with it. So there you have it. Cool. Thank you, Steve. To you. Very nice. I had no idea you were back into the uh, brewing business. We will have to. Yeah. Chat. Yes. Well, I I'll have to bring a, a growler over some night and I'll let you try it because. Uh, um, I brewed this um, as a sidebar real quick because um, I wanted something light and um, weedy and honey because I thought I'm going to need some help drinking it here because God knows it's five gallons. Um, and uh, but um, um, Sarah said she would help me with it, but um, after um, after she tried a little bit, uh, she punts now. Since it's sat a little bit and kind of carbonate a little bit more, she might try it, but. Uh, but if not, Steve, um, you and I may have to uh, take this keg one night and um, um, tell the wives uh, we'll see them on the other side and uh, and uh, emerge a few days later. There you go. Bring that over. A keg? Five gallons? Shit. A mere night's pleasure. <laughs> we can get a lot of Napoleonics played during that time. I can take it. All right. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. Uh, my beer for uh, tonight is... Um, Actually, I'm just going to one of my old standbys. Uh, nothing was blowing my skirt up at the liquor store, so I just picked up uh, from my good and dear friends at the Stone Brewing Company uh, <laughs> the Arrogant Bastard Ale. Mm. Can't go wrong with it. Always good. Always good. Uh, 7.2 ABV. There's no Godzilla tonight unless Jeff has a uh, really potent Muncie uh, no, no. brew there. No? Okay. Three. Maybe three and a half. Oh come on, we got to work on that. I know. Well, the next beer I, again. I'm going with a different uh, yeast that is going to hopefully, uh, you know, um, you know, kick kick ass in this uh, fermenter because this wheat did not 
I thought I was going to have to go pour another whole freaking ba- uh, uh, pouch of it in, but I didn't. Anyway, no, it's on the light side, and that's okay. All right, well, I'm going to teach you how to make a yeast starter, so we'll work on that part. All right. <laughs> uh, no, seriously, that will change your whole brewing experience. Trust me. Teach right, me, Obi-Wan. I, I will. I, yes, my young Padawan. All right. <laughs> All right, folks, that is it with uh, Brother What You Drinking right. and my uh, beer-making tips to Jeff. We are now moving on to Clips. Clips, our favorite part of the show. All right, let's see, number one. I wanted a mission, and for my sins, they gave me one. Brought it up to me like room service. Okay, there you go. There's that deep-throated Martin Sheen. Let's see, number two. Charging a man with murder in this place was like handing out speeding tickets at the Indy 500. It, there, we haven't talked much about the writing in this show, but there is some good, snarky writing throughout this. It's great. Mm-hmm. I just kept waiting for uh, Christopher Pine to say, Bones, knock it off with the metaphors. Okay, never mind. Moving on. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Next clip. The machinist, the one they called Chef, was from New Orleans. He was wrapped too tight for Vietnam. Probably wrapped too tight for New Orleans. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, gosh. All right, let's see. Uh, next one, and here, uh, the next several are going to be from, these are the best clips here. I'm ready to bring out the board for you and bring my Yater spoon, the 8-6. I don't know, sir. It's what a- is it, soldier? Well, I mean, it's pretty hairy in there. It's Charlie's point. Charlie, don't surf. It's it is the way he just turns to him, like son. <laughs> Explain this I don't to me slowly. Hear shit. Charlie, don't surf. Oh my god. <laughs> you know, I years ago, man, I practiced his monologue there about the whole um, uh, napalm scene <laughs> because, I mean. The passion that's in his voice and the do you, did you get that clip, Steve? Yes. Okay, oh, I'll wait. Are you, are you kidding? I know. I, I'm just making sure. Yeah. I'll speak after it. Okay, go on. Okay. All right. Uh, next. This LD's still pretty hot, sir. Maybe you gotta surf somewhere else. What do you know about surfing, Major? You're from goddamn New Jersey. <laughs> <laughs> You're from goddamn New Jersey. See, that's from the goddamn region. Hey, you know what? We do boogie boarding on Lake Michigan in the region, so don't give me shit, Muncie. It's more than we can do on the White River here. Well, there you go. I'm glad they didn't call it the Brown River. (laughs) (laughs) Or the Pooh River. Well, that's what it is. Yes. Oh, gosh. All right, next. I love the smell of napalm in the morning. You know what time we had a hail bomb? For 12 hours, when it was all over, I walked up. We didn't find one of them, not one stinking dink body. Smell! You know that gasoline smell? The whole hill. Smells like... Victory. And there you go, probably one of the most iconic lines in cinema. The and line Robert you did Duvall, not. Go ahead, Mark. I'm just going to say, and Robert Duvall in interviews to this day says people come up to him and quote that line to him. 
So just walk up to him. Because it's it's the way he delivers it and the the the, the line you didn't capture, Steve, that really adds a the exclamation mark yep. to that scene is is where he says, Someday, Someday this, this war's, war's gonna, gonna end. end. Yep. And the look on his face of like sadness that that is going to happen mm-hmm. and he's going to have to live without it. I, and then he just, he walks off screen. Yeah. It's, yeah. it is, it is Perfect. just so profound. It's awesome. Yeah. yeah. And, and the front end of that is the voiceover at the very beginning when you meet Kilgore where Martin Sheen's character is saying, this is the kind of guy who his men love him because he takes care of them, but he's going to get through this war without a scratch. He's got that white And he loves this shit. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, because he said he's an okay officer, but he loves his men, and he feels safe. But, yeah, he's he, he'll walk away. He'll scot free. All right, next. Oh, man. That bullshit piled up so fast in Vietnam, you needed wings to stay above it. More metaphors. More metaphors, yes. Yep. All right, next. You're an errand boy. Sent by grocery clerks. Heard a little bit of The Godfather there. Thank you. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) All right, last and certainly not least. I used to think if if I died in an evil place, then my soul wouldn't be able to make it to heaven. But now... I mean, I don't care where it goes as long as it ain't here. That's another great quote. It's one of the mm-hmm. best ones of the whole damn show. And and for our listeners, because when they arrive at Kurtz's camp, there are bodies and heads littered, and I mean littered, everywhere. D- it's, it's a little a unsettling. House. It's yeah. unsettling. And you hear the sound of flies buzzing always in the background. Well, and, you know, what here's the thing i mean you've you know you're 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 caught off guard by okay you just got you're you're kind of shocked by all these people that are standing around kind of quote unquote guarding him the the colonel um and you know they're they're kind of walking through the village and the boats flowing by and you know they're kind of talking and what you don't what you're having a, you can see and you you don't have to pay too much attention but you just above the camera shot or just dangling below the camera shot is are like feet and legs sometimes, and yeah. you realize there are people that are being that are that are hung, suspended from these trees, or I should say, hanged. Um, you know, you've got bodies laying everywhere, and then you get this scene where they're walking up these steps, and there's just heads laying around, yeah. and it's it's yeah, it's. That at this point, yeah, you realize you you've you're you you're you're at that um, uh, event horizon, and you're about ready to cross it, and you're you're you you can't come back. You're going to the center of the black hole. Well, and to that, let me ask you guys a question. And we know John Milius wrote this movie, and he directed one of our favorite movies. The end of the movie, at the last three or four minutes. When Martin Sheen walks out, was that not Conan or was Conan not Apocalypse Now? Mm. The end of both movies. 
when they walk out, when when Martin Sheen walks out, it's it's Conan. It's the end of Conan, or Conan is the end of this movie. Because, you know, they both killed Tulsa Doom. Yeah. And everybody kind of bows down. Bravo. And they walk out. Yeah. You know, an ending I had heard, I didn't really notice it in the trivia, an ending I had heard years ago, and it is maybe false, was the idea that the way that this movie could have ended or maybe should have ended or was supposed to have ended was after he killed um, Kilgore. I mean Kurtz. I mean Kurtz, wow. Uh, uh, after he killed Kurtz, that after all the madness he went through and the changes that he went through, he was going to fill that role of Kurtz now. Well, you can kind of see that at one point in the movie. You think he's going to do it. Right. I thought that would have been a profound ending to the movie. Um, you know, and, and the, the fact that, well, you know, we're going to get into some spoilers here, but again, this movie is, you know, nearly 40 or 40 years old. Um, you know, you know, instead he just, uh, you know, he floats on out. Um, but he takes, but he takes trippy boy with him. Yeah, he, he does. Him by the hand. Yeah, he, he really does. And, you know, so I mean, it's, it's kind of, I mean, you know, it's it's pretty amazing that anybody really came out of this alive. Um, or it would have been interesting to see, you know, if, if that had planned. You know, if this had was shot today, what would have happened is we would have had either a spinoff or a prequel of um, of Duvall's character. Yep. Right. And they would have ruined it. Probably. Yeah. You know, he's sort of he's sort of that Boba Fett character. Where it's like you've got him for a short period of time. He doesn't really do or say. Well, he does say a lot, but he's not in there very long. But he is, you know, the kind of the heart of the movie. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Good point. Well, there you go, folks. That is it with clips. So we are now moving on to the man cave movie review checklist. All right, number one. <laughs> Anyone jump through a window? Um, well, you know, Martin Sheen punches a, a mirror, but, um, can't really think about it. Yeah. Anybody jumping through, not many, not many windows in this movie. No, no, that's great. Oh, let's see. Number two. If you want him, come and claim him. Was there a Liv Tyler role in the movie? If you look at the theatrical version, I'm going to say no, because the Blackboard Bunnies are not there long enough. They just, they add a little element of humor. Um, and, um, but if you watch, if you watch the, uh, yeah. redo and the extended version, um, yeah, there's, um, there's, yeah, there, there are, but we're not talking about that movie. So, right. No. So the, the, the straight up version. No. All right. Number three. Son of a bitch must pay. Was there a son of a bitch in this movie? And did he pay? Yeah. I'm going to guess, yeah. you know, Brando was a son of a bitch. Um, anybody else a son of a bitch? Well, I don't recall anyone else. No. The poor water buffalo doesn't count. He was minding his own business. <laughs> he had no well, idea what was going on. That is that is one sure way to take down a cow. Yeah. Good oh Lord. Oh God. And if you look in the background, all the extras in the back are smiling like, we're going to get roast meat tonight. Yep. Prime rib. Take the roast. It's a barbecue. Roast. Yep. I mean, that, that guy wound up like... Uh, oh, like Babe Ruth, didn't he? I mean, he he really 
put that machete halfway down that cow. Okay, go on. <laughs> All right, next. <laughs> was there a Wilhelm scream in this movie? You know, there wasn't, but when that guy fell or jumped or died off that bridge and landed in the water, There's that would have been a good time for one. Yep, absolutely. That uh, let's see. Uh, well, there were no female roles. Uh, we'll skip the Tony contained. Let's move on to next. Was there a montage in this movie? I'm going to say yes. Okay. And I'm going to say the there was a montage leading up to the attack on the village with the shots of, you know, all the weapons that they had at their disposal. You know, guys were checking their weapons. They were, you know, smacking their uh, magazines on their head. Um, you know, they were they were doing the they were doing all the checks I think that you do for a montage, um, you know, shot to shot to shot, um, you know, showing the different helicopters and, um, you know, I think that that was montage-ish. Uh, you know, I'll give that to you. All right. I like it. Yes. I like it. Okay. Go back and watch it again. I was thinking about that. I was like, I mean, cause it's like, you know, you got the, you know, they're patting the rockets. Um, you know, you see the twin, they weren't fifties, were they 30 cows they had on the sides? Um, you know, you had, uh, you know, the door gunners, you know, you had all the guys, you know, with their M16. I mean, it was just, you know, it was one thing. It was like, okay, check, 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 check. Anyway, but well, go back and watch. I thought it was pretty cool. And you have Arlie Ermey in one of his first movies. Yep. Chopper Makes pilot. a brief appearance as a chopper pilot. Yep. All right, next. What the fuck? Yeah, I got one for you. You mentioned it earlier, Steve. Yeah, is there a what the fuck moment in this oh, movie? Oh, absolutely. I'm thinking it's it's, it's about half it's, this movie. Well, yeah. yeah, but the one that really just jumps out at me is the whole bridge at night lit like a Christmas tree. Well, the only bridge yeah, up here. Yeah. And that we're trying to keep open. And and that and the other what the what the F moment is the guy swimming towards the pibber as they're going up to the bridge with the Samsonite. <laughs> I'm sitting there, and I literally cocked my head, like, "What the fuck? Who's got Samsonite out here?" <laughs> well, that's that scene I was telling you about. That was right. That that, that, that entire point when they came up there, and yes. it's like, "Okay, stop here. Pick up the mail. Go see the CEO who doesn't exist anymore." We're just going to see a bunch of weird shit, and we're going to get the hell out. Right. That whole thing with the music. And like I said, what was with the freaking Christmas tree lights all <laughs> Thank over you. the place? Thank you. And <laughs> at just, that moment, and there's some great music in this movie. Oh, they're just trying there to make is, it like home, Steve. They're just wanting to make it like home. I guess. Hush up. <laughs> <laughs> Can we just interject? Can I just hit sidebar? You mentioned the weird music. Yeah. I wrote, I made a note to myself, did John Carpenter score part of this movie? Nice. Yes! There were, I swear. I mean, there's some great music. Don't get me wrong. The doors. The soundtrack to this is great. But, but this electronica shit is like John Carpenter. There were a couple of scenes, and and Mark, I swear to God, I almost picked it up because I thought, this sounds like one of those, like, really bad 
early oh. 80s like sci-fi movies I, that Roger Corman <clears throat> Roger Corman made it's like what the hell is this music Oh I thought it was Escape from New York oh, I thought God. this was outtakes from Escape from New York and it was annoying Oh yeah some of the some of the music just did not fit All right uh let's see last and certainly not least And so it begins was there a B five reference in this movie? Did you catch it? Only the elephant in the room. Yeah, no kidding. And we talked about it before. What was what was another movie that he was in that we mentioned before? Well, he was in Gettysburg. Yeah, maybe that maybe that was it. But he, you know, because he was in Babylon Five: The River of Souls. Right. The uh, movie. Martin it was Sheen. the fourth movie. Yeah, a good movie actually. He plays a soul hunter. I don't know if I've seen that. It's a good movie. It's focused really on Garibaldi, and here's a kicker. You know who's in that movie? Ian McShane. Oh, no kidding. No kidding. Have you guys? Do you guys watch Ray Donovan? Uh, <laughs> who? Yeah, I've caught a few episodes. Um, it, it's He's a, a show, badass in that movie. It's a show on series. Showtime. Uh, it's called Ray Donovan. Ray Donovan's kind of a fixer. It's, uh, lead, uh, um, Ray Donovan is uh, played by Lieb Shriver. Um, he, he kind of plays a fixer, but in season two, Ian McShane is in there and, um, and he's, he's in so far every episode and is just chewing scenery. He is classic. He is, he is a sophisticated, um, oh, who was he in Deadwood? Um, Swearingen. Yeah. Swearingen. He's a, he's a sophisticated Al Swearingen. A proper, polite business, Al, businessman, Al Swearingen. If you haven't clicked, if you haven't seen Ray Donovan, it's it's worth uh, it's it, it's it's worth watching. It's hey, got Steve, uh, sidebar. Oh, okay, go so, so, no, uh, so what's the B five reference here? Martin Sheen. Martin Sheen. He played a soul hunter in the B five movie River of Souls. Martin Sheen. Yeah. yeah. He played the lead. Yeah. <laughs> Steve, I, can't, I can't just see Steve. He gobsmacked I, can, him. I, I see the mouth slightly open, jaw down. <laughs> what? Okay. What? what? Evidently, I have not pulled that particular DVD out. I don't. Yeah, if you don't have the collection of the the B five movie collection, I it's in there. I do, yeah. and I don't. go watch River of Souls. Oh, okay. Because uh, I was going to shock you guys with uh, Carrie Russell, who was. Uh, uh, he was a door gunner, and he was one of the stunt coordinators for yeah. pretty much the entire freaking yeah. season. Pretty yeah. much most of what he's done has been stunt work. Yeah. But, yeah, he was a yeah. door gunner in this, yeah. Yeah, I had no idea but, Martin Sheen was actually in B5, but, uh, oh, yeah. well, shit. I stand corrected, and I will go debase myself later. Well, so. well done on the stunt guy. I wasn't going to yeah. mention him because I thought, well, we don't mention, you know, stunt people uh, well, and well, best boy and key I, grip, but... Son of a bitch must pay. All right. <laughs> All right, there you go, folks. That is it with the Man Cave Movie Review Checklist. And uh, I I got totally showed up here on the B5 reference, but that's okay because that's not my job. <laughs> right. And right. You have, you have bigger things to take care of. I have bigger things to take care of. So we are now moving on to the Man Cave Movie Review of the No, screen. no, no, no. We're doing the top ten. I've got it for you. Dun, dun, Top 10 dun, of oh. 1979. All right, shoot it. All no. right. So, 1979. 
These are the top movies. Before we get to the top 10, I'll list a few others. I'll follow. follow Ken because I think they're worth noting. And some of these are Man Cave movies or we've reviewed or should be Man Cave movies. Number 40 was near and dear to our hearts because it's in just south of Indianapolis, Breaking Away. Good movie. About the bike race at IU. Number 39, The Life of Brian. <laughs> Monty Python. Um, number 32, a movie that I would say is a man cave movie we should look at. Warriors, come out and play. The Warriors. Okay. Never seen it. Never seen it. Number 23, a movie we did review and we all like it. 1941. Love it. Um, let's see. All that jazz doesn't count. Number 15, Escape from Alcatraz. Number 14, this beat out Escape from Alcatraz. It is one of Steve's favorite movies, Meatballs, with Bill Murray. This is where Steve takes his poo (laughs) during the reading. Oh, that's right. He's gone. Yeah. Okay, so number 10, a James Bond movie, an awful James Bond movie. Moonraker. Moonraker. I when you said I was like, wait, this is right about the time. Yep, Moonraker. Moonraker. That may have been the first Bond I saw. Oh, so, because I, I was seven, I would have been eight. And yeah, that makes sense. I would have. I remember. Cause I remember seeing awful. it. Oh, it was. Best, well, you know, it had, it had Jaws, so no, I thought no. it was just awful. great. Best, oh my god, that guy's scary. Best yep. Bond movie ever. <laughs> awful. Number nine. The new phone books are here. The new phone books are here. I'm somebody. <laughs> the jerk with Steve Martin. <laughs> They're going for the cans. <laughs> Protect the cans. <laughs> Steve, Steve's not amused. Not like that, no. <laughs> Number eight, ten, with Bo Derek. <sighs> yeah. Number seven, a movie near and dear to Steve's heart, The Muppet Movie. I love The Muppets. Okay. <laughs> you know what? It's love cute. The Muppets. No, no, no. Those two, those two old the, the writing for the oh, yeah. two old guys in the balcony was outstanding. All right, stop. Mark, continue. I have to edit this thing. So. <laughs> Number six, a movie that we did. It, it's a terrific man cave movie, Alien. Absolutely. Episode, what, three or four for us? Something like that. Year there, yeah. Yeah. This was a good year for Man Cave movies. Yes, Yes. it was, and it continues. Number five, not the best, but we reviewed it, a solid reboot that got the whole franchise restarted, Star Trek The Motion Picture. Yes, yes. We reviewed it. (laughs) Yep. Number four. With a budget of thirty-one million and raised and generating one hundred and fifty million worldwide, the movie we're reviewing, Apocalypse Now. Wow. Number two, a movie we reviewed its predecessor, and there was commentary we should do this movie, Rocky Two. Oh, absolutely. Oh, I'd do that in a heartbeat. Okay. Oh, now yeah. here's what beat out Rocky Two, Apocalypse Now, and Alien. Huh. No, number two. The yeah, Amityville. Oh, oh, that's number one. Number two is the Amityville Horror. Oh, 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 yeah. 
that's that, a that's a that's a freaky movie. Yeah, that's that that movie. Movie. This, this is back when scary movies were good. Yeah, yeah. This movie. This is Halloween esque kind of. Yeah, it gets it still gives me the heebie-jeebies to this day. Yeah. Yep. Now, number one, chick flick. We will never do this. It's a nine to five. No. Worse. Tootsie. Worse. <sighs> Kramer versus Kramer. <laughs> <laughs> it just still has Dustin Hoffman in it, right? It still has Dustin Hoffman uh, in it. You can't get, yeah. It 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 still got Dustin Hoffman and and what is it, Meryl Streep? I mean, you can't. See, yep, the guys, Meryl the Streep. guys had to divide all their time between all these other great movies, right? The women were yep. just like, we're going all in on this one. Yep. That was the top movie. <laughs> Steve, I can my, I can see Steve with his mouth my, slightly dropped open, stunned look on his face. Yeah. Yep. The number one movie of 1979, Kramer versus Kramer. With Dustin Son Hoffman and Meryl Streep. Oh, <laughs> yep. my God. Well, it's, it's worse than that. I oh. believe it won Best Movie oh, in the God. Academy Awards, and it beat out Apocalypse Now. <sighs> See, you know what? This, it, this it, is it, a true it, American travesty right here. No, you know what? <laughs> Like I said, I'm already putting an explicit clip on this thing, but you know, in the words of Jules <laughs> from Pulp Fiction, that is some fucked up, repugnant shit. Testify. My God. Kramer versus Kramer? Who even, even knows what that is today? I want to recount. I mean, you talk about movies that, I mean, who even remembers that movie? Yeah, Apocalypse Now and all the others you mentioned. Oh yeah, they're still like. <laughs> oh, but yeah, remember Kramer versus Kramer? Are you talking about the Seinfeld thing? No, no, no. It's the the movie from seventy. Never mind. I digress. <laughs> oh my God! Really? I I I merely am just regurgitating yeah. the facts, man. You know what? Back in the day when they used to kill the messenger, I'd had you flayed. You had to be shot, <laughs> drawn, quartered, strung up. I'd have been one of those people laying at Kurtz's feet. Yep. Yeah, you would have been... Uh, <laughs> yeah. Wow. All right, there you go, folks. That is it with uh, <laughs> clips, the top movies of 1979 and the checklist. So we are now moving on to the Man Cave movie review of this great fantastic film. So, uh, when do you guys have to take it? Because I've done the last, like, five. Jeff, do this I'll, one. I'll take it. All right, I'll take right, it. That's go. fine. <clears throat> um, this movie, I think, um, is, is, <sighs> it's a masterpiece, I think. Um, consider, and, and that's also considering everything that Francis Ford Coppola had to do to get this made. For it to be number, what'd you say, Mark? Four, four. on the list. Um, and it is, it is filled with dynamic characters, great writing, fantastic actors who, who deliver, I think, on all accounts. Um, it's, it's a journey, um, that, that really, takes you along with it and get, and it gets you emotionally emotionally caught up you're emotionally caught up in it as you're uh, as you are journeying down the river with uh with Captain Willard and um you know along the way there's there's hijinks 
there's um, there's there's great battle scenes, um, and and then as you get to the end, it 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 goes from I mean like a, a macro scope to down to a microscope. I mean that's that's just how the movie kind of travels along, and in the end, you're you're dealing with you know the most primal. Um, uh, the most primal um, experiences that we could possibly have, which is you know man killing man, and it's 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 brutal, it's bloody, it's in your face, and um, you know you know you know you know is it the mission or is mission man? Who knows? Um, but it to me it delivers. It delivers on every aspect of the movie. Um, I think the photography in this is outstanding. Um, the the music, even even as weird as it gets, it's meant to put you in a certain mood and make you feel a certain way. And so it, this movie was structured and designed with such intent. You don't have this anymore, and I think that's what I miss. Is you know you don't have people like Francis Ford Coppola to have a such a solid vision. And even if they shot 230 hours of it, he had to figure out what to do to put in here. And uh, again, with all the challenges along the way, he created a movie that I think is very much worth watching. I do think it is one of those that it's a must see for for every guy. Um, and it, it again, it has one of my favorite battle scenes in it with uh, when the, with the helicopter attack on the um, on the village. Um, it's just masterfully done. Um, you can, I mean, is it is this a perfect movie? No. Could our actors perfectly cast? No. But it's it's uh, it's a it it does what it sets out to do. Um, and with all that, without reservation, without hesitation, I give this movie a ten. Holy cow. Holy cow. Boom shakalaka. Bam. Hmm. Brought the heat. To you, gentlemen. I, I'll follow up on you. I, I, I think, and I agree with many, many things that you said. I think this movie is a flawed masterpiece. And, and by that, I mean that... What Coppola attempted is just so. It, it, it's it's like it, it's so almost unattainable that what he got is incredible, and in particular to your earlier point, Jeff, with what you consider as being made today, which is formulaic and cookie cutter, and and. It's just sophomoric in many ways, or it's small. And I don't mean small in a negative term. It's a small movie. It's intimate. This this guy swung for the fences. He didn't have to. He'd made Godfather, Godfather Part Two. He didn't have to do this. And he went and did it anyway. And he got all these actors we've talked about, not to mention guys like Harrison Ford, who's in it for all of five minutes. I mean, he got all sorts of people. He has John Milius, who writes this movie. He goes to the Philippines. It's a testimony to this cadre of directors, and I really recommend the 
documentary Milius. It's been streaming on Netflix. This cadre of directors that came up in the 60s that were Coppola, Lucas, before Lucas became what Lucas is, Spielberg, and, and Coppola, and, and there's a great, this Milius documentary deals with these four guys because they all intersect. It, it's amazing what they all created in the 70s. And this movie, I will agree with you, Jeff. It, it, is, it is a brilliant movie. It takes Conrad's novel or novella. It transforms it. But it, it, is, it operates on many levels. You can look at it as a war movie. You can look at it as what is man, what is sanity. Um, you can also look at this and go, what a, what a train wreck. But you can't deny that this movie does not pull you in and hypnotize you um, in a way that very few movies do. And I will back you up on this. I, I think it's flawed in many respects, but those flaws are due to what Coppola attempted. And, and it is it is because of that that I will back you up and give it a 10. All right. I, I'll tell you what. I don't like this movie that much. I'm not going to give it a 10, but I will. I'm going to go with an eight and a half. It's very respectful. Yeah. Eight and a half. Especially given, Steve, that you, you're not a huge fan of Brando or, or Martin Sheen. Yeah. I guess, I mean, I think that's very acceptable. Yep. That's, yep. that's kind of where I stand. I like this movie. For me, this movie, there are, I like the parts more than the whole. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's not a movie. I think we've all touched on it. If this movie's on, there are parts of this movie I'll stop and watch. But this is not one of those movies. If it's on, I'm going to stop and watch the whole thing. Right. It, it requires a certain mental effort. Yeah. 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 And and it's also you know earlier I said I think every every man cave listener needs to watch it once. Yeah. Um, I'm not saying you need to rewatch it again. I think, you know, once you get this, you and you, if you sit down and watch it, you and get it, um, I think you've got the experience. I think you'll be re- well rewarded. I think you'll be exhausted at the end. <laughs> but yeah, you're right. There, I mean, again, there are times I'm like, hey, you know what? I just want to see these couple of scenes. I'll just put those in and, and I'm done. Or if it's on TV, I'm just, I'm watching the helicopter tax scene and I'm, and I'm out. You're right. Because it's a heavy movie. Um, and you know, it's, um, but it's, um, it deserves a lot of respect for, for what it is. Yeah. And I, I really urge people to watch, if you've seen this version, the theatrical version, go watch Apocalypse Now Redo. Yeah. What, get through it. And then if you want to, it, it is worth people's time to watch the documentary. And, and watch you, it. Yeah, watch the documentary after you see it. Yes, because then your jaw really does hit the floor. Yeah. Yep, absolutely. That's it for the Man Cave Movie Review, episode 161. Check us out on our website at Man Cave Movie Review. And look for us on iTunes at Man Cave Movie Review. And leave us a comment. Tell us if you like the show or didn't like it. And look for us on Facebook at Man Cave Movie Review and at Twitter at Man Cave Movie. So until next time, I'm your host, Steve Michael, signing off with my very good and dear friend, Mark, I love the smell of bourbon in the morning slumber.
This is the way the effing podcast ends. Look at this effing shit we're in, man. Not with a bang, but with a whimper. And with a whimper, I'm effing splitting, Michaels. Nice. All right. And also saying farewell and adieu and on Vietrazine is our the good dear friend, Jeff. I don't serve Muncie. I will not hurt or harm you. Just give me back the headset, Steve. It was a good headset, and I like it. You know how hard it is to find a good headset you like. <laughs> I do. I do. <laughs> All right, folks, and on behalf of our other good dear friend, Ken, sing it in the rain, Roni. He'll be back on the next show. <laughs> But hope you enjoyed this one. Check us out. Until next time, ciao. even putting the damn episode numbers on the goddamn website what the fuck's wrong with me son of a bitch let's see under siege is 158 Little jacks 159 that's 160 okay 58 59 okay here we are at 160 Take jesus christ off. must have had a fucking stroke or something when i did these last two pull emuel all right Never gets old. Sons of bitches. <laughs> you know that I have to go back and listen to that podcast because I think I was pretty much three shits to the wind on that one. And I think that think? I, I think that might have turned out to be one of the classics. But uh anyway. All right. <clears throat> Let's see. In three, two, one.